This morning, we're starting a new sermon series on five faith-building practices. So we're going to cover Bible reading, prayer, we're going to look at worship, talk about fellowship, and talk about evangelism. Five faith-building practices. Steering team is excited about this because what we're praying is that God, by His grace, will work through these practices in these next weeks to strengthen us as Grace Church, to unite us, to strengthen us, to empower us so that then we can move ahead more effectively through this fall and the future in what God's calling us to be and what God's calling us to do. Five faith-building practices. And this morning, we're going to talk about Bible reading. And the passage we're going to look at is John chapter 8, verses 31 to 36. So go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. By the way, we put, our, put verses up here on the screen. Keep bringing your real Bible, okay? We love digital Bibles. They're great too. But if you have a, a real Bible, page Bible, so you can make notes, you can underline words, you can jot down what God's stirring in your heart, that'll be helpful for you in the future. So turn to John 8, 31 to 36. And while you're turning there, I want you to think about this question. What do you do, what's your strategy at those times when you find yourself being drawn into sin, when you find yourself being tempted and pulled in a sinward direction? What do you do? How do you fight it? How do you resist it? What's your approach? So like if you find yourself desiring something else more than Jesus, like, you know, watching sports or food or, or shopping or friends, it's like you really are more interested in something else than Jesus. What do you do? Or what do you do at those times when maybe somebody's hurt you and you are just furious with them and you are not going to forgive them and you feel this rage and revenge rising in your heart? What do you do? How do you fight that? What do you do at those times when you have no interest in prayer? No desire to worship. Just, you, you're not interested in fellowship. You'd rather stay home from home group and just watch TV or something. What, what do you do at those times? Or when you feel like frustration or disappointment or bitterness rising up in your heart, what steps do you take? That's the question I want you to think about. Well, we were on vacation a few weeks ago. Um, I battled an area of temptation. Here's what happened. We were staying with Jan's parents, part of the USA that has beautiful red rock formations, mountains, canyons, with incredible hiking and fantastic mountain biking. And I love hiking, and I love mountain biking even more. And every year we've gone there, last 15, 20 years, I've hiked, I've mountain biked. I do have a bad knee, though. Heard it in sports years ago. I've had a couple surgeries on it. And it gets sore every once in a while, but usually it doesn't bother me too much. But on this vacation, at the very beginning, it was bothering me. It was bothering me bad. It really hurt. And, and I could tell I, I was not going to be able to hike. I was not going to be able to mountain bike. Now, I prayed. I asked God to heal my knee. We believe in healing here. Prayed earnestly a number of times, Lord. We're here. I want to go hiking. I want to go mountain biking. Heal my knee. And we believe that God supernaturally heals. This was one of those times, though, where in his love and his wisdom and mercy, he says, I've got something better for you than that, which I did not want to hear. And so there I was for 10 days, no hiking, 
No mountain biking. Are you feeling it? Right, okay. And, and I felt, I mean, to my shame, I felt uh, disappointment rise up and frustration and some bitterness. So that my question is, what do we do at those times? Every follower of Jesus will have times when we are feeling sin rising in our hearts. We all experience that. What do we do to resist that? What do we do to conquer that? What do we do to overcome that? Jesus tells us in John chapter 8, verses 31 to 36. Let's look at what he says. Verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. Now stop there. Underline that word believed. And I just want to point out that in John's gospel, he uses the word believe in two very different ways. Most of the time, he uses it to describe genuine, heartfelt, saving faith, trust in Jesus Christ. That's how he uses it most of the time. Other times, though, the exact same Greek word he uses with a different meaning. He's describing a shallow, outward profession of faith that's not from the heart and that is not saving. The context shows you which it is that he's using, and in this case, this is a description of a shallow, outward, not heartfelt profession of faith. So let's read that verse again. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him in this outward just shallow, not saving way. And he says to them, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. See, he knew that it was just shallow. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, they were offended, these Jewish religious leaders. They answered in verse 33, we are offspring of Abraham. Listen, do you know who we are? We're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you'll become free? We don't need to be freed. We're pedigreed Jewish, genuine, born from Abraham, Jewish people. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. They knew they'd sin. They knew they were committing sin. Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son, capital S-O-N, Jesus, sets you free, you will be free indeed. Powerful passage. In verse 31, Jesus explains how we can tell if we are truly his disciples. Read verse 31 again. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So one way we can tell that we are truly Jesus' disciples is because we are abiding in his word. Okay? Here's the Bible. Abiding in his word means reading studying, meditating upon Jesus' words, as in the Gospels. But Jesus also taught that the Old Testament was truth directly from God, which is our benefit. So it's the Gospels and the Old Testament. And Jesus taught that his apostles would remember everything he had said and would perfectly explain what he was teaching, and that's the rest of the New Testament. So 
by saying we are to be abiding in his word, Jesus is saying that we are to be reading, studying, meditating upon, praying over God's word. That's one way we can tell that we are truly Jesus' disciples. So let me ask you, are you abiding in Jesus' word? As you look back over these last months, has there been a, a rhythm, a pattern in your life of, of reading God's word, studying God's word, praying over God's word? Is the path to your Bible well-worn, or is it getting overgrown and you kind of, when was the last time I went there? Is, is the word of God you're abiding, you're studying, you're reading, you're meditating? Now, let me give you an example of how this has happened in history. In 1859, God poured his spirit out upon many people in Wales, in the UK, and their lives were transformed by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And people noticed they're different. And here's what somebody wrote about them. He said, the word of God was their daily food. Is that what the Bible is to you? Daily food. Someone said he did not think anyone now neglected reading the Bible. Another said he read a chapter every morning, and another said that he could not stop until he'd read three or four chapters. He's learning the epistle to the Hebrews by heart and often stays up until 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning reading over the scriptures after the family has gone to bed. Abiding in Jesus' word. If you are abiding in Jesus' word, Jesus says, you are truly disciples of mine. Truly disciples right there. Are you abiding in Jesus' word? Now, to motivate us to do that, Jesus tells us two things that will happen when we abide in his word. So what happens? When we abide in Jesus' word, the answer is in verse 32. Let's read verses 31 and 32 to get the flow of thought. Verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him with this outer, not heartfelt belief, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And here's the two results. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So two things will happen. First, we will know the truth. Now, this is huge. A little over a year ago, I was talking to a young woman who was part of our church at that time and, and just asked, you know, how's it going for you here in Abu Dhabi? How's your, how's your faith been? And she said, my faith is dangerously weak. It's been so hard for me to be here because in this country, we are surrounded by people who have very different religious and philosophical beliefs, very sincere people who believe very differently than we do. And she said, honestly, Pastor Steve, I've started to wonder, how can I know what is true? How can I ever figure out what's true with spiritual things? Who am I to say that what I'm doing is true and what somebody else believes isn't true? Some of you are, are feeling that question strongly. Well, here's the point I want to make. We don't need to search out and try to figure out the truth of spiritual things. God himself has revealed to us the truth of who he is and what's going on. Publicly, openly, historically. Public knowledge. Starting with the people of Israel. 
right? Calling Abraham, revealing himself to the people of Israel. So we see God is real. He's merciful. He's just. He works. He answers our prayer and all the prophecies of the Messiah who was to come. And then God reveals himself supremely in the person of Jesus. God came to the earth himself in the person of Jesus. And we beheld his glory. John says, glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, full of truth. And so we see Jesus, we see did I just go off? Okay, we see Jesus, we see the Father. And then Jesus, of course, taught, and we have his apostles who explain what Jesus taught. And so God does not play hard to get. God isn't hiding, saying, I hope they can get this all figured out. God came to the earth, said, here's who I am. You're not here by accident. I've created you so that you could have the joy, the greatest joy in the universe of knowing me, worshiping me, loving me. I've came to give you, I've created you to have that greatest joy. You've all turned your backs on me. You're slaves to sin. But Jesus came to die on the cross to break the power of sin and to pay the penalty of sin. And so that the moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you're all forgiven. All your sins, past, present, and future, your heart is supernaturally changed. You love God. You love Jesus more than anything else. And you have times where God pours his presence into your life, and you are filled. You're satisfied, overflowing. So the point I want to make is God has revealed the truth clearly, openly, publicly for all to see. And it's all right here in his word and when we abide in his word, we will know the truth. So if your faith is starting to waver, if you're starting to wonder, who am I to say that Jesus is the only way? It's not what you come up with. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. No one does. Come, come. If you abide in his word, you'll know the truth. That's one result that comes. There's a second result. Read verse 32 again. He says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, we hear that phrase quoted all the time, right? People say you'll be set free from ignorance. You'll be set free from superstition. You'll be set free from prejudice. And those are all good things to be set free from. We're, we're for that. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Here he's talking about freedom from something else. So what kind of freedom is he talking about? The answer is in verses 33 to 36. The start of verse 33 again, where his listeners raise an objection. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham, have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you will say you'll become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So Jesus is talking about freedom from sin. Before we were saved through faith in Jesus Christ, we were all slaves of sin. But now please don't misunderstand verse 34. He's not saying that you were slaves of sin before you were saved, then Jesus sets you free. You're no longer a slave of sin. But if you commit one sin, you're back into slavery to sin again. It's not what he's saying. That word commits is an important word to understand. It's in a particular Greek form, which implies 
ongoing sin, an ongoing practice of sin, which you're not repenting of and which you're not confessing. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about what was true for us before we were saved. We were slaves of sin. Now, let's just think about that a little bit before we were saved. We, we all would agree that we did some wrong things before we were saved, right? We lied, we cheated, we stealed. We did some bad things. But it's worse than that. Even the good things, the seemingly good things we did were also sinful. Now, that might sound shocking, but hear me out. Here's why. Remember what the greatest commandment is, Jesus said? To love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. But think about those seemingly good things that we used to do, giving to charities, maybe helping someone with a flat tire by the side of the road. None of those good things that we did were done because we loved God, want to glorify God. It was all done because we wanted to maybe not feel guilty, or we wanted to feel good about ourselves, do the right thing, or because we wanted to be impressing somebody else. Isn't that true? The seemingly good things we did also were sin because we weren't doing them for love for God. We were disobeying that commandment and even the good things we thought we were doing. So before we were saved, everything we did was sinful. The obviously bad things and the seemingly good things. We were slaves of sin. And Jesus explains then what happens, how Jesus sets us free from that in verses 35 and 36. Start with verse 35. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. This is not an easy verse to understand. Commentators have a couple different ways of taking it. Let me share with you what I think uh, makes the most sense of the context and the language here. Jesus wants us to think about slaves and then sons, daughters too, okay? Slaves and sons. He says, slaves do not remain in the house forever. Now, he's talking about slaves of sin because of the previous verse. That's the, next, the previous time the word slaves was used. So he's talking about slaves of sin. And what he, says, what he means to say is, they do not have eternal life. As we will read in chapter 8, they will die in their sin and face God's judgment forever. So those who are slave, slaves to sin will not abide in the house forever. They will die, face God's judgment. They will not have eternal life. But, Jesus says, sons and daughters who have been set free from slavery to sin will abide with eternal life forever. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And then he summarizes this in verse 36. So, if the Son, Jesus, sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus is saying he is the Son. He takes those who are enslaved to sin and he sets them free so they become sons, so they become daughters. They're no longer slaves to sin. They are free. That's what Jesus Christ does. Now, how does Jesus do this? I try to think of an illustration. So let's, let's imagine this big building here called Slavery to Sin Prison, okay? Slavery to Sin Prison. Not a very creative name, but there it is. Thick walls, cells, and that's where all of us were before Jesus saved us. 
not interested in God, turning our backs on God. No one was keeping us in that prison against our will. It was our wills that were keeping us there. We didn't want God. We weren't interested in God. I'm going to stay here. Thank you. That's where we were. We were slaves to sin because of our own sinful natures. That's where we were. But in great love, in great mercy, God sent Jesus, and Jesus died on the cross paying the penalty for sin and breaking the power of sin. And so God brings his power upon you, me, us. Our hearts are changed. Our eyes are open. For this first time, we own up and say, God, you are glorious. I've been blind to you all this time. Look at you, your love your grace, your gentleness, your power, your authority, your tenderness. I love you. I worship you. And look at what you've done through Christ. And you turn and you put your trust in Christ and you're completely forgiven. All your sins, past, present, future. Your heart is supernaturally changed. I love you, Father. I love your Holy Son, Jesus. My joy is knowing you. And he pours his presence out upon you. You have times where your heart is just filled with joy in knowing Christ. You were a slave and now you've been transformed, freed, so you're a son. You're a daughter. That's what Jesus Christ does. He sets us free. Okay, so we were slaves in the slavery to sin prison. We've been set free. We're now sons and daughters. But now we're on the road towards heaven. Okay, we're walking towards heaven. But as you're walking towards heaven, every once in a while, this still happens, your sin leads you off into this little side jail cell of sin. So here you are, okay? Maybe... I'd really rather watch football today than, you know, go worship, or whatever, right? Whatever it might be, okay? There you are. You're bitter against someone. You've got greed. You've got some lustful thoughts. So you're in this little prison cell of sin. So the fact that we've been set free from slavery doesn't mean we never need Jesus' freeing work ever again. We're not slaves of sin anymore. But on the road to heaven, we do find ourselves entrapped in sin, uh, overpowered by sin, being tempted by sin. And we can't open the, the door of that little prison cell ourselves, but Jesus can and Jesus will. So that's what happens. We were slaves of sin. We've been set free through Jesus. Now we're on the road to heaven. But when we get drawn off into these little jail cells of, of sin, which we can't open the doors anymore, Jesus will set us free each time that happens. So the question is, how does he do that? How does he set us free? What does he do? The answer is back up in verses 31 to 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So here Jesus is talking about those who are truly his disciples, who have faith that's from the heart, trusting Jesus for salvation and all that he promises to be to us. That's who he's talking about. He's talking about us, okay, all of us who are trusting Christ. And he says that we have been set free from slavery, but we still need to be set free, right? Because the truth will set you free again and again and again and again as you live your, your Christian life. We don't need to be set free from slavery to sin anymore. That's already happened. But we do need to set free from the power of sin that comes as we walk with Christ. Now, how does he do that? If you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth of God's word will set you free. So we all have the key 
that will always unlock those little jail cell doors. So here we are. We, we got the, do you have the key? You got the key. We're walking towards heaven. And you find you're drawn off in this little jail cell of sin over here. Door clanks shut. And you, you, you can't open it, okay? You can't open it. But you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. This is the key that will open every jail cell door of sin that you face all the rest of your life. Just use it. There to key that it opens up and woohoo, glory, and you're heading to heaven again, okay? That's how it works. So whether it's that you are loving something more than Jesus and you find yourself trapped, your heart's just not loving Jesus much anymore, or you're bitter against someone, or you don't have any desire for prayer, or like me on vacation where I was feeling uh, disappointment and then frustration and some bitterness coming in, and you're, 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 you're there, you don't have the power to change that yourself. You don't have the power to get out of that yourself, but you've got the key. But the problem is that so often we don't use the key. Right? We're there. We got the key. Okay, but we're, we're, we're trying this, and we're thinking, okay, I'm, like if, let's say you have a trouble with anger. Okay, starting tomorrow, I'm never going to be angry again. Starting tomorrow, I'm, I'm going to do this. Tomorrow doesn't open, right? Resolutions don't do anything. Do you understand that? Or what if you say to yourself, okay, I'm, I'm going to have some guys hold me accountable, you know, not to have any more impure sexual thoughts, okay? Hold me accountable, hold me accountable, hold me accountable. That's a good thing to do. Door's still shut. Accountability can't change my heart. Resolutions can't change my heart. Or sometimes we, just, we try to like guilt and shame ourselves. You're such a bad Christian. You know, look at you, losing your temper that way with your kids. What kind of a Christian are you? Stop that, you know? Still shut, right? You've got the key. Use the key. Open the door with the key. If you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will, underline that word will, will set you free. Listen, this was such good news when it hit me this week. Every temptation I face the rest of my life, this is the key that will free me. This is the key that will free me. That's what Jesus is promising here. Now, how does that work? How does that happen? Let me tell you what happened on vacation with me. So there I was. Uh, frustration was rising in my heart, disappointment, some bitterness. And I could tell I was in trouble. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get rid of it by res resolving or just trying hard not to feel those things. Or let's go do something else. Didn't work. I was disappointed. I was frustrated. I was bitter. And so I just took a moment and just said, Jesus, help me. Look, look at my heart. I need you. Help me. And just like Amy read from Hebrews chapter 4 this morning, we can draw near to the throne of grace and receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can come as we are. And so I came as I was and I said, forgive me. And he assured me that I was forgiven. And I said, set me free. Change my heart. I can't change my heart, but you promised that through your word, you'll change my heart. I was thinking of Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting, transforming, changing the soul. Lord, your word can change my soul. I can't. Help me. And I believe he led me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. And let me tell you what God did in my heart through this scripture. But the point I want you to, to learn from this is 
This is how God's word sets us free. And here's how this passage set me free. It was, a, it was a beautiful grace of God that I could never have done on my own, but he did it. 2 Corinthians 4, start with verse, I'm sorry, it's verses 16 through 18. Verse 16, Paul says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Okay, so our outer selves are wasting away. What does that mean? Well, when is it that you hit your prime physically? Like 18, 19, 20, 21, right? Now, I am well past downhill on the other side of 18 to 19 to 21, okay? So my outer self is decaying. Any of you feeling that also? Okay, outer self is decaying. And when you see your outer self decaying, you can lose heart. It can be a discouraging thing. That's what he's talking about here. But he says, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. More joy, more strength, more contentment, more peace in the Lord. How does that happen? Verse 17. For, very important word, because, here's why our inner self is being renewed day by day. It's because this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, this was a game changer for me. A whole different way of looking at my knee problem and lack of hiking and biking. This is a momentary affliction. This will pass. Eternity is coming. This is not going to last forever. This is a momentary thing. And this is a light affliction. Kind of feels heavy to me, Lord. Oh, no, no. But it's light compared to the eternal weight of glory you will experience when you behold Jesus Christ in his love and his power and his sovereignty and his majesty and his tenderness and his care, his forgiveness, his joy. When you see Jesus face to face, that's an eternal weight of glory. This momentary light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So my knee problem has been allowed by God to prepare for me more joy in Jesus now and forever. Well, that was a whole different way of looking at this. Rather than my knee being all about, I can't hike, I can't bike, it's like, that's true, but there's something much bigger going on here. God is, wants to prepare you, prepare for you more joy in Jesus than you would have had otherwise. I said, okay, Lord, bring it. I'm not feeling it. Bring it, bring it. How does that happen? Verse 18, as we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What Paul is saying is, let, let my knee problem lift my eyes and think about Jesus Christ and eternity, being with him forever, with all the redeemed worshiping him, new knee, new body, presence of God. Let, let this knee problem remind you, this, this world is not my home. Any of you ever seen that old song? I'm just a passing through, right? My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. It's a great little song. And so I said, okay, Lord, if this is what you say you want to do through this, 
I need you to do it. Come. And I just started to think about beholding Jesus. I looked at this verse. This momentary light affliction is producing an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And as I was praying over the scriptures and asking God to help me, he did, he did a beautiful thing. He gave me a taste, uh, an experience of Jesus' glory that, that, that was unusual for me. But it was so real. He was so real and so powerful and so pleasurable and so beautiful that honestly, I didn't care about not hiking or mountain biking anymore. What I was feeling in my heart was if, if this can come as a result of having my knee keep me from this. It's worth it. It's worth it all. I was content. I was filled. It was a, it was a supernatural touch from the Lord through the Word. And so what happened was I'd been in this prison cell of frustration, disappointment, bitterness, and I praying. It, things don't happen instantly, but the lock opened, the door opened, and I was free. Now, I wish I could say that never again during those 10 days we were there did I feel any level of disappointment or frustration or bitterness. To my shame, that was not the case. Those, those came back at times, right? The, the battle goes on, but you just pull out the key again, open up the word again, say, Lord, okay, I'm, 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 I need to see this again. Remind me what's going on here. And every time, I'm back in the cell, use the key, door opens, and I was out. So this is what Jesus is talking about. But that's why I wanted you to think at the beginning of our time, what do you do? What's your strategy for those times when you feel hopeless or full of love of money or hatred against somebody else or just spiritually lukewarm? What do you do at those times? Do you just give up? Do you just like try really hard to muscle your way back into it, neither of those solve the problem. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Grace Church, here's what I want to call us to do. Two things. One, take time every day when you open up God's word, and you read, and you study, and you learn and you meditate on his word. Now, I know for some of you moms with young kids, it's like, when do you do that, right? It's not easy. My wife just would open up her Bible on the kitchen table, and she said she would just snack throughout the day. Okay, but in passing, right? Uh, read something while I'm going to take care of Johnny or whatever it might be, right? So we understand it's... But God has a way for you to abide in his word, have a rhythm of reading, studying, meditating. He has a way for you. He will open that up to you. Okay? So let's all, let's, let's pursue this because as we spend time every day, this is beautiful preventative medicine. This is like the key is keeping the door open. Okay? If we're in the Word every day. But then secondly, also, when those temptations come and we find that we're back in the little jail cell of, of sin, the door slammed shut, we can't open it. Open up the scriptures. Find a scripture that pertains to the area of temptation you're dealing with. Maybe you need to ask your home group leader. Maybe you put, it, put out a WhatsApp message or you know, talk to somebody on the steering team or verses that you've learned. Maybe learning verses yourself so you have a, an armory of a powerful, effective scriptures. 
And then open up those scriptures and pray over those scriptures. Cry out to the Lord. He will answer his promise. If you abide in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So let's be in the word on a regular basis, Grace Church. And then when temptations come, let's not neglect the key. We've got the key. Use the key. The key is the only way the door is going to open. Open the door with the key. Let's stand together. I want to pray this into us. God, I pray that you would do a new work in our hearts as a church. New beginnings, new fall, new school season starting, new beginnings, back from vacation, whatever, here we are. Lord, I pray for a, a, a new, fresh start for us as a church. I pray, Lord God, that we who are Grace Church, that, that this fall we would be faithful in abiding in your word. Lord, help us to put distractions aside, Facebook, email, television, whatever. Help us to put distractions aside and to love your word, to feed on your word, to read, pray over, meditate upon your word. And then, Lord, when temptations come up, help us not to just try to overcome them on our own strength or just give up and surrender, but Lord, help us to open up your word and to use the sword of the Spirit, the word of God, and to slay that dragon. Help us with this, Lord, I pray. Lord, we pray this for your glory so that you'd be even more glorified through us as, we, as we're seeing your power conquering sin. We pray this, Lord, for the, for the sake of, of Abu Dhabi. Lord, Abu Dhabi needs believers who are strong. Abu Dhabi needs believers who are full of Jesus. Abu Dhabi needs believers who are humble and bold and shining with the glory of God and, and breaking the power of sin, Lord, for the sake of lost people in Abu Dhabi. Strengthen us in the word so that we are bold and shining and loving and humble and serving and, and sharing the good news of Jesus. Lord, for your glory, for the sake of the city, we pray. Help us to abide in your word. In Jesus' name.